Welcome to the Slow Wild Outsider Radio Podcast Pilot. We don't quite know what we are doing, and it probably shows. But that doesn't make us any the less interesting. We are making slow and wild radio from the outside. Trigger warning. Sometimes the slow wild outsider strays into darker areas such as drug use, mental illness, self-harm, suicide, sex, and death. If you are easily distressed you may wish to avoid some of the articles. But, I would suggest that they are all suitable for adults over the age of 16. The slow wild outsider podcast radio that worms its way to your head. Listen with caution, use sparing. The slow wild outsider. Best served with headphones. Now, the interview panel has a shot at schizoaffective disorder. Fast and furious slow radio. schizoaffective disorder until I met you. And I take a keen interest in mental health issues. In fact, in a previous life I was a mental health nurse. So could you please tell us what symptoms and mental health issues do you need to be experiencing to end up with a diagnosis of schizoaffective disorder? Well, yeah, um, put simply, it's like having bipolar, which is uh, manic depression for the older people, and um, schizophrenia, mixing them together, bundling them all up as one cuddly mental illness. Uh, there are a few other complications as well, but I mean, you'd be far better off looking it up on a uh, reasonable website and finding out for yourself but yeah bipolar and schizophrenia mixed up oh my god that sounds extremely horrendous it's okay i guess you kind of get used to it it becomes part of you and who you are and what you feel and what you experience it just becomes ordinary life ordinary life ordinary life we're here today to have a little chat um, about your uh, mental illness you uh, suffered your life. Not suffered, you had. Okay. Can you tell me when you first realised that something was you were different from our kids? Blimey. Really young, single figures. I was probably about eight. Okay. And did you 
express it to anyone or do you keep it to yourself? I kept it to myself up until about age 12 and then the, the people at school sort of thought there was something wrong with me. I was a bit weird, so they sent me to a psychologist and I opened up about it a bit then. Was you like isolated from the other kids or? Yeah, I was. You didn't feel any connection with them or? Uh, not particularly, no. I felt really different from them. What, in a bad or a good way? Uh, in, pretty unhealthy, really. Right. And do you find that that feeling you had as a child, you still have some of those feelings now as an adult? Well, I don't really mix with people now, um, so I don't experience those those feelings or thoughts anymore. I just avoid people as a rule. You, you, you avoid the people because you um, don't want to have those feelings at all? Yeah, I, I think people are quite dangerous and can be quite nasty, and so I don't want to put myself at risk. Is that through an experience? I'd say growing up, yeah. Is your childhood has based your opinion now as an adult. What happened to you as a child? Well, some pretty bad things have happened to me as an adult as well. Um, fairly recently, while I was going through a bad patch, I had a group of people follow me around, chanting at me and calling me a pedo. And that was one of the nastiest things that's ever happened to me. So it's, it's like it can still happens when you grow up. It doesn't, it doesn't stop. Okay, let's have a time and have a cigarette and we'll come back. Alright. Now I understand when you were younger you heard voices. I still do. But yeah, when I was younger I did, yeah. Are they positive voices or...? No, the majority are quite negative really. Could you please describe some of your visual and auditory hallucinations? It's a bit tabloid and it's going for the money shot, but in all honesty it's what people want to hear. They want to get to the gristle. We want to bathe in the shadow of your pain. Quite frankly we won't be happy until there are bloodstains on the wall. Hallucinations, like uh, visual or um, auditory, both right. Um, there's far too many to list, this would be really long if I listed them all, I can't remember them all either, but I guess some of the more memorable ones is uh, being chased by typewriters, uh, old manual typewriters, had wings, and a flock of typewriters were chasing me. Uh, I spent a long time walking around uh, thinking that I had a brick hovering above my head, a foot above my head and that it was going to fall on me at any given moment. Uh, I used to see a lot of um, these massive fluorescent green sort of worm caterpillar things crawling in and out of windows, uh, under doors and so on. I haven't actually seen one for quite a while, definitely a year, but yeah, they were horrible. Um, strange one with playing cards with pictures of me on them. Like, I don't know if you remember that. The naked women playing cards you buy in Boulogne when you went over there for the day as a kid, or um, that kind of thing. Well, they had different pictures of me on the playing cards, apart from on the uh, Jack King Queen. Um, they were normal. And um, the ace had a picture of me with a bullet hole in my forehead. 
Um, yeah, being entwined in a huge man-sized rubber ball band. You know, if you collect um, rubber bands together, if you make a ball, this was one that was perhaps six feet tall and six feet wide, and I was strapped to it with a few extra rubber bands. Um, I had a terrible meltdown in a Charing Cross tube station. Uh, it's about four years ago now. Um, generally speaking, people must have just assumed I was drunk on drugs, but the um, the motifs, the, the murals on the wall made it feel a bit like uh, I was in a jungle, a jungle or the woods. And I couldn't work out what the hell a tube station was doing in the middle of a jungle. And it was so overwhelming that I couldn't walk and I, I started to crawl. Nobody asked what was up or anything like that. And it was getting far too intense and too much for me. And I sat down and I happened to sit down in a, um, one of those little spots reserved for a busker. And the busker came along and was pretty pissed off with me. And he, he asked me what was up and I couldn't speak at all. It was like I was chewing something really massive and it just came out as a squelchy blur. And, um, oh, it was horrific. And, um, he, he got really pissed off with me and he, he went away. After maybe, I can't tell you how long, but I would guess an hour, I was, uh, collected by um, a couple of London Underground staff who made me or let me sit on a stool outside the ticket office until uh, I felt all right again. And that took about three hours sitting there. Um, I carry an emergency key ring with me now in case I can't explain like that. And it tells people what I suffer from and to call an ambulance and to put me in a quiet place for now. I, I still have a reptile-like creature on the right hand side of my back from that incident. That's where it came from and it hasn't gone away. I can't actually see it, but I feel it. It's always there. Um, hallucinations, yeah, uh, tree people. It's, yeah, kind of short, industrious people who live in the trees providing help to the people dressed up as telecom workers but they're far more likely to be government workers. The telecom workers and the tree people are wiring up some kind of huge complicated web and they want to attach one end of massive wires to me, preferably to my teeth. Um, I have an incredibly powerful immune system, stronger than anyone else's on earth. And all sorts of people and agencies would love to get their hands on some of my DNA, blood samples, etc. Now you might find that unbelievable, but I can prove this stuff about the incredible power of my immune system. All it would take is a couple of hours going through my GP's notes. There's, um, in there, there's evidence of me beating HIV AIDS. I was pronounced positive in 91 and found to be negative in 95. Drug companies would love to get their hands on me, either to get me out of the way, or else I lose millions of dollars on drugs with research if the secret of my immune system got out there is. Or they could synthesize parts of me to create new drugs. Um, little things I kind of remember is this majestic, beautiful herd of lions that dropped out of the sky and landed on me. Um, horrible one, people invading my flat. 
who won't leave however much I plead with them and I shouted and I pleaded and I begged and I cried and they wouldn't move, they wouldn't go. Um, the police have had to come the door in on several occasions to make sure I'm okay. The last time they did it I was found with hypothermia in the corner of my bedroom. I'd become far too paranoid to leave the flat and get through the electricity. My brain felt like um, two lumps of ice slipping against each other. It was impossible to think it was difficult. Uh, I've seen a staircase several times leading up to the clouds. When I try to get up the stairs, it's like climbing up the down escalator. I end up going nowhere and I probably look quite bizarre. Although I did give up worrying about what the rest of the world thought of me quite a while back. The sensation and conviction of having razor blades piercing my eyeballs. Um, the feeling of having a multitude of spiders, grubs and other insects crawling all over me. Sometimes I can see them too, but not always. Seeing tree trunks split open in a mighty crash and from within a tree emerges a perfect copy of me. They're not me. They're some kind of millennium animal or robotic electronic device. As they make their way towards me and other people, they sort of fizzle away, leaving no trace. They're a bit like a firework, they're quite short lived. Um, sometimes other people grow, hit heights about 15 foot, and then on other occasions I can shrink as little as 6 inches in height. I'm never particularly sure which of these two things have happened, and within a few seconds the ground feels very bouncy, and all the people and creatures return uh, to their normal size with a jump. I often find myself in the past, usually I'm not keeping myself busy and have to get myself lost in thought, but that's not really a hallucination, is it? I've seen footprints appear in the ground all by themselves, no person or creature visible, melting windows, breathing pillows, people formed from loose and very flexible rubber. Seeing people that I usually know from anywhere in my timeline or any part of my life uh, waiting in cars so they can catch me and take me away to where I have no idea. Uh, I've seen birds and dinosaur-like creatures that have no place in the 21st century sky, flying and diving and screeching, usually in the dusk. I sometimes see and hear groups of kids, teenagers and young adults follow me around while charting dark and disturbing sentences and lines. This is uh, a particularly difficult situation to know it's a hallucination or not, because I've definitely had that happen for real. Um, a bit about voices, um, again, I have, I'll keep it really short because it would go on for hours. I've a multitude of voices and general chatter seeping into my head for most of the time. Um, the great majority of it seems to mainly stem from the right hand side, and it's impossible to tell if they're creeping out of my mind into a bubble, just that's on my ear, or the opposite way round. Um, I've given some of the voices names or nicknames, some of the voices and I go back a long way. Others are fairly new and just pop up once and I never hear from them again. Um, so a few random ones I can think of off the top of my head. Um, there are so many it would take hours listening to them. Uh, some are more important than others. For example, I wouldn't normally mention the frozen yogurt vendor who whispers his sale pitch at me saying, you're more frozen than this stuff. Go away with the boy and play in the road. So he's creepy and not very pleasant. He's only ever popped up once. The bit part players like him don't warrant a place in the list, really. Um, okay, a long time companion is the quiz show host. 
sometimes with an audience, sometimes without. Uh, quiz show host isn't that nice a fella, and whatever I'm going through, he just turns it into fodder for his cheap and nasty TV show. Um, sometimes he talks directly to me, others through the greedy, overexcited audience. Um, not that long ago, he was saying to both me and the audience, in that quiz show voice, like he's uh, offering uh, everything I've won, I can gamble it for a car. It's that stick or gamble, he chant, but what he was saying was, hang or harm. And he was putting the question to the audience, and eventually they would scream out, harm or hang, it changed. And then it's down to me to try and ignore this order. Um, just left there at you know, the end of the show. Lots of different voices, some louder than others, uh, who call my name. Amongst this, there's a distracting character. He's a very young kid who I'm kind of convinced is probably a young me. The voice is as spooky as fuck, almost swallowed up in reverb and delay. Nowadays, I never answer the call. I've made that mistake before and ended up in tiring, distressing arguments that I never win. The main point of the argument is that I'm a terrible little shit and I'm abusing labour and limited world resources. Well, they'll swallow their words along with humble power when they get to learn about the life-saving immune system I've got floating around my veins. When I'm dead, my body will be offered up for scientific research. Research that will change the world. Um, amongst the constants I can make out of the voices, voices of children playing and taunting each other. And um, as their voices get closer and louder, it's as if they've just noticed me and they begin to play like um, verbal piggy in the middle with me. Um, the general constants about this is how the whole class hates me and is going to beat me up later. Uh, they tell me I'm fat and smelly, I have embarrassing hair, and I'm not welcome anywhere near their special club. Um, it's quite peculiar that one, because I think it's just an echo of something that happened in real life. Uh, constant murmurs and whispers of a handful of regular voices that rise above the rest of the chatter, but are still turned down. I can't make out what they're saying, probably for the best, as the general tone of these voices comes across as mean, hurtful, petty, and just designed to cause distress. I'm a regular visitor, the psychiatrist, although I don't call him that when talking to my uh, psychiatrist or anyone from the team of people who, air quotes, look after me. Uh, the psychiatrist is speaks with a kind of authoritative voice. He has claimed many times he's uh, only looking out for my best interest. He's often given me advice, but if you listen closely to what he's actually saying and read between the lines, what he really wants is for me to turn myself in and have loads of experiments done on me. I'm very careful not to give him any reason to section me. I'm very lucky though, I've got to say, because I'm aware that these hallucinations and delusions are only in my head, popping up for about 75% of the time. I know they're delusions and I can just put that to one side. It's not as easy as that, but that's what they are. The other 25% is a worry and can lead me to bad situations in acute psychiatric hospitals or units. Uh, when I'm no longer grounded in reality and I see these things or hear these things and they're real, then that's when I'm ill. Um, when I see and hear these things and I can say to myself, no, that's just my brain, then I'm well enough to be on the outside. Um, that said, though, 
even though they are only delusions, they're still pretty scary and confusing. Um, do you reckon that's enough to be getting on with? I don't really want to talk about it very much more. Alright. 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 And the music featured in that article was On the Skyline by Eddie Orange Dasher. There will be more from and about him in future editions. And now, a completely and totally uncommercial break. Poetry. Sounds like an awful idea. But, this is poetry gone wrong, and it doesn't last for long. Poetry gone wrong. Angry aunt. She told the nurses to fuck off, should never said boo to a goose. But then again, who actually has? A slow wild outsider, podcast radio that worms its way to your head. Listen with caution, use The slow wild outsider, best served with headphones. Podcast radio for interested ears, made by people with no voice. The slow wild outsider, slow and wild from the outside. And in contrast to that swim inside the mentally ill brain juice, a light-hearted piece of music from the Ministry of Pain. Nice ordinary people. Hopes for the future are quite bright. 
line is, what about a water bottle wibble? My mind is melting. How are you doing? The slope, bustle, outside, outside. Conversation with a crack addict. On a chilly Sunday afternoon in January, I met up with Frank. Not his real name. Names have been changed to protect the guilty, and his voice is being processed, so he won't be recognised, hopefully. And he talked to me about his addiction to crack cocaine. Uh, so, a short conversation with Frank, the crack addict. And I uh, first asked him, when did you first try crack and what was it like? Well, it was a bit of a weird one. I was driving Sheffield in London and I've never touched it before. But I picked up a working girl and she said to me, well, would you like to try it? And I thought, no, because I never taken this stuff. But she said, if you have one, I'll give you a blowjob. And once I had it while she was doing it, that was it. It was like an open, it was euphoric. I'd never had that sort of sexual feeling and high before. Had you ever taken any illicit substance before? And at what age did you first dabble with drugs? Well, I said first, I was 22. I took my first joint. And then it was accidentally taking acid, which completely blew my mind. So you left it relatively late? Yeah, I was pretty, pretty anti-drugs. Yeah, did you have a view or, or an opinion about people that did take drugs beforehand? Um, not a bad opinion because my older brother had always dabbled in drugs, so I'd seen people that could be normal around drugs, and I've met some really interesting people that I would have never met. But uh, my opinion to drugs up to a point, to hard drugs, was what I was told at school and in the army to keep away from it. So that was my opinion of drugs, that they were this, this terrible thing, um, which was completely shared. Once I saw people, associated with people, I found that they weren't what they told me it would be like. Do you mind or object to being described as a crack addict? I... I don't like it when people call people crackheads. Right. Because usually people are calling people crackheads are people who know nothing about the drug. I've met some great people who've taken crack. 
really inspiring people and I've met some shit people who are taking crack. But that generalisation of crackhead, I don't like that. Right, but you're okay with addicts? Yeah. Your situation. My situation, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, do you smoke or inject it? Smoke it. Okay, have you ever injected it? I've never injected crack, no. All right. Would you ever, do you think? No. Um, is it possible to describe what crack cocaine is actually like? How does it make you feel? <sighs> it's, it's an incident. When you take your first pipe, it's, you get high, but everything else dissipates away. It's just that moment. And that's that first roll of the day, that first moment of you taking it is the one that you're chasing forever. And I quite like the, 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 the euphoria of it at the beginning, but it's the chasing which I don't really like. So what do you mean by chasing? The anxiety, the wanting more, the not allowing it to take its full effect before you're trying to get more. And when you start doing that, you find that you're not enjoying it, but you're chasing somebody you think it should be there. Right. When did you realise that you're addicted? Ooh, I would say a few weeks after I first took it. Right, that quickly. Yeah. And what does the addiction feel like? How do you feel if you can't get any? If I haven't got it, it's not a big deal. I'll think about it sometimes. I, I realise that when I was really bad on it, I would dream about it. You know, and it became all-consuming. Whereas you can't think of anything else to do apart from take the drug. And when you haven't got it, you're counting down the days until you can get the money to do it. Uh, do you ever mix it with alcohol or other drugs? I mix it with alcohol when I need to level out. And what do you mean by level out? Like just take the edgy craving feeling away. So you can just like relax and be normal. Right. The, from what you describe, it makes it sound like that you, you sometimes feel pretty much on edge when you take it. Oh, yeah. Why do you pay money to feel that way? Well, you don't initially pay the money to feel on edge. But once you've taken the first one, or you've run out or whatever, you want more. Because you don't want to come back down to the normal feeling. You want to carry on. And that feeling there, when you get to that point, that makes me edgy. I'll start twitching, looking at windows, which is completely ridiculous. But that's the process that I have in my mind, that when I take the drug, I get to a point, that's when I know I'm taking too much, when I start twitching out of windows. That's my limit, so we, you, you've gone too much. And it could be one stone, it could be five stones. It all depends on how I am today. How much money, at the most, have you spent on crack in one session? And what 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 do you feel like when you run out and the session comes to an end for the day? Oh, I think I've spent about £1,000 in one session. And you don't feel it immediately. You feel it at the end when you've wasted so much. And you think, well, I could have used that for something else. And then you say to yourself, I'll never do it again. I'll never go like that again. But I think the most important thing for you to do is to accept what you're doing, how you're doing it, and then moderate it. There's no point beating yourself up afterwards. It doesn't serve any purpose. Okay. What lows or dangerous situations has taken crack led you to? Oh, 
stealing, um, fighting, uh, just to the point of sometimes suicidal thoughts. It can get that low when you're constantly doing it and then it stops. Because your mind is just, it needs it. But it's just, it's not, I wouldn't say it's like um, a physical thing, it's more like a mental thing. Right, yeah, apparently it's a, it's a psychological addiction rather than physical. Would you agree with yeah. that? Yeah. What do you regret most about being involved in the drug? The loss of self-honesty. Self-honesty? Yeah. Can you describe to me what you mean by that? Uh, because you're... You lead a double life. You've got your normal life, you've got your crack life. And you're forever trying to be someone to other people. But inside yourself, you're not that person. Alright, if you could go back in time, would you change it all? Or would you or do you consider it to be an important part of what has made you the person you are today? Uh I wouldn't change it as per se. Some people say I would never want to touch it now. I would have liked to have touched it. I wouldn't have changed actually having it. But what would have changed is the way I did it, as opposed to being reckless. What kind of things and or friendships and relationships have you lost oh, to crack? I've lost two long-term partners. At some at one point, losing the relationship with my daughter for a while. Um, disappointed my parents but luckily I've, I've had good friends that have stuck by me for it, for all of it and never judged me At a rough guess how much money do you imagine you have spent on crack during the course of taking it? Oh, I'll say at least over 150 grand Right, and, and how long have you been taking it? Since I was 28 do you continually get into complicated situations and weave webs of lies because of the crack? Yeah, I used to. I mean, that was that was all part and parcel of taking the, the drug. Um, lying to get money, lying to get out of trouble, lying for not being at a certain place at a certain time, lying for being unreliable. So yeah, you do form a web once you're properly addicted, and it could be to the point where. Even your lies, you try to believe the lies you tell yourself. Are you embarrassed about your addiction? Do, do most of the people you know know about it, or do you manage to keep it a secret? No, most of my people that I know know that I have a crack addiction. Um, I used to be embarrassed about it, but now I've more or less sort of like taken some form of control over it. I accept it for who, who I am. It is maybe the person I am today, not all of it, but it has some contributing factors, some good, some negative. But I wouldn't be um, embarrassed, no. What do you think that general society thinks about you? As a crack user? Yeah. I think general society would say, wouldn't even look at me and see that I was a crack user. But if they knew that general society as such, they would sticks label you yeah you you're a crackhead not, not many people know what crackhead means they think a crackhead is someone who's on television they see 
out of these films, it's not personally. It's, I know crackheads that are artists, musicians, have proper jobs, but they still have that problem with crack, like people don't alcohol. What do you think other drug users think of you? Is there a hierarchy amongst drug users using different drugs? What is considered to be the lowest of the low? Well, I suppose the, um, this, this, when you see people, they say, when you, you take crack with other users, they will ask you, do you take heroin as well? And you say, well, no. So that's a sort of like um, lower hierarchy, I'd say, is that the people that take crack, just crack, at one level, and you've got the crack and heroin users who are quite heavy to the heroin at a different level. Do you intend on giving it all up? Do you hope to give it up? I would hope to give it up one day, but it would have to be when I'm ready. What would make it easier or possible? Do you think you will succeed one day? Yeah, I think what will make it easier is we're having more things to do in your life that can take up the time. But also having the money to do it and not wanting to do it. It's quite easy for people to say, yeah, we'll give up and we've got the money. But once they've got money, they have it again. It's having the money and not wanting to do it. I'd like to get to the point. In general, are you happy? Are you a glass half full or a half empty kind of person? Half full. I'm quite happy at the way I am at the moment. You, so uh, do you like yourself? Yeah. No, I do, yeah. If you could choose one piece of music that would sum up your life, what would it be? <sighs> or it could just be a piece of music that sums up how you feel when you have or haven't taken crack. I know it's a difficult question. Uh, sounds really strange, but the doors when you're strange. the slow Gary, Graham, 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 this is Graham, Greg, 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 Gre
with Zero Crop with the track name Check from his first album Ain't No Wanker. You can find more of his work by searching the internet. It's well worth investigating and has the several names seal of approval. Now, a short story based on real-life events. The Slow Wild Outsider presents Another Bloody Miracle. Glory to the Newborn King. Give me a break. Put the stern look away. If you needed any kind of a reminder, then this is a good opportunity.
The Slow Wild Outsider is entirely written, presented, devised and edited by non-professionals. We are learning as we go. I am definitely not an actor or voiceover artist. I'm just an ordinary Joe. The following story, Another Bloody Miracle, was read in one sitting, and contains a couple of stumbles and mistakes. We didn't want to record it in parts, as that would take the immediacy and the genuine feeling out of the story. We tried different takes but, including blemishes and stumbles, we really felt that the following recording is the most heartfelt and genuine out of the lot. So please forgive the imperfect recording we now present you. It shouldn't impact on your enjoyment of the real-life story. Based on true events. Another bloody miracle, by several names. I was in Goa. It was December. It was the first time I had left my home country in a decade, and I was like a kid in a sweet shop. At that time, you could buy several different benzodiazepines over the counter of most pharmacies, and I bought them all. Diazepam, lorazepam, alprazolam, nitrazepam as well as strong codeine preparations, tramadol and barbiturates. Along with the hash, opium and ecstasy I could illicitly buy and the extremely strong cocktails for sale on the beach, I was in stupor heaven. I spent a month getting more and more out of it, practically comatose. I would pop another cocktail of drugs at the drop of a hat. I didn't think for one second that I'd had enough for the time being. I would drive my hired scooter down all the local lanes and dirt tracks, occasionally scootering into the nearest city to see if I could find more, different drugs at better stock pharmacies. How come I wasn't squashed like a bug on the manic and anarchic roads? I just don't know. At a guess, I used up a couple of my nine lives. So this was how it was for a while. I didn't take in any of the culture, I didn't mix with people and I drifted away with the, from the friend I'd gone out there with, and he moved himself out of the disaster zone he could see me creating. It was the best Christmas I've ever had. I bought some coloured lights and put them in the window. I lay on the bed on Christmas Eve and watched the local kids letting off firecrackers and chasing each other in wild, innocent madness. And I smoked loads of dope and swallowed handfuls of pills. There was a knock at the door. It was David, someone I knew from London and had travelled out with us, but wasn't tied to us in any way. I didn't really like him. I couldn't put my finger on it, but there was something about him that wasn't quite right. I'm pretty certain that the feeling was mutual, and it was an unusual event for him to come and visit me at the hostel I was staying in. He'd probably come to see Steady, my dissipating friend, and found that he'd gone out. David had three people with him, a boy and girl couple, and a bald gay fella with astounding blue sparkling eyes. Did I want to go to a club along the beach? asked David. I cracked open a beer and reached for a box of lorazepam. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea, I said, not really putting any thought into it. Give me five minutes to have a wash and change my clothes, I asked, and closed the door in his face. I hurriedly took a large cocktail of various pills and stashed a few different boxes in my pockets. I changed my t-shirt and put a wad of rupee notes in my belt pocket. Okay, I'm ready, I announced as I swung open the door. We set off. I was tripping over my feet a little. As we walked along the beach, it was about a mile for the club and the sand was hard to walk on. 
It was kind of slippy and I fell over a couple of times. Every now and then I'd fetch a few random pills from my pocket and swallow them. I didn't need any liquid. I'd perfected the art of just using a mouthful of saliva to imbibe maybe 15 or 20 tablets at a time. The four people I was with were a fair way ahead of me and I was finding it harder and harder to walk without going off course or falling over. In the near distance I could see the lights of the club. When we arrived, or more precisely when the others arrived and I stumbled after them, we found a free table and I was relieved to sit down. I ordered and paid for different cocktails for all of us. We clinked glasses and wished each other a happy Christmas. I had four massive pina coladas and more pills. I was completely wasted. I started to have odd thoughts and feelings. I was kind of out of control. Xanax, I said to myself. That'll straighten me out. I popped a few more pills. The others had hit the dance floor and I suddenly felt very lonely and abandoned. I got quite angry and decided to go back to the hostel, lie on my bed and watch Christmas happen through the window. I got up to leave and fell forward, smashing my face on the table. Blood flowed through my nose and I wiped it away with, with my sleeve. Very cautiously I wobbled towards the exit and without looking behind or saying anything to the group I was with, I slipped away and found myself alone on the beach. It was about two in the morning and it took me a few minutes to decide which direction I should head in. Right, I thought. It's definitely right. I swung my body round to the right. With some difficulty, I started the journey home. You've all been drunk. You all know what it's like trying to walk in a straight line when you're drunk, haven't you? Well, this was that, that, to a total extreme. The ocean was to my left and the tide was out, leaving a very expansive beach to which I was sticking. I aimed towards the dunes, but for every step forward I made, I spiralled two steps left. I kept stopping and tried to realign myself. Soon I lost count of how many times I fell over and just accepted that it was part of the journey, a slow, twisted journey. I was crossing, crossing a desert with only pills to keep me going and I had even stopped gobbling down my stash. I was on a serious mission. I looked back and guessed that I had maybe covered a hundred feet. Looking at my watch, I estimated that half an hour had passed. Blood started dripping from my nose. I cleared it away and set off again. One step forward, two leading to the left. One step forward, two leading to the left. As I continued the tortured walk, I noticed that I was drifting away from the dunes and closer to the sea. I wasn't far from the waves trying to lap at my feet. I stopped. I turned myself round until I was facing the dunes on the far side of the beach. I made a promise to myself. When I get to the dunes, I'll have a sit down for a while, maybe even a lie down. There's no rush. I'm not in a race. I'm just casually making my way home after a night out. After much stumbling and false starts, I found myself facing the dunes. Okay, I thought. Let's go. I started walking again. There was no change in the night's theme. As I zigzagged up the beach, I was spinning round. Every hard fall, fall step forward, I took two back. I twisted and turned so many times I had no idea which direction I was sort of heading in. Was I making a peculiar trip back to the club? Was I making an embellished journey home? Or was I heading somewhere completely new? I continued on, 
falling and turning and stumbling and twisting. One step forward, two to the left. One step forward, two to the left. After some time of carrying out this accidental dance, I felt my feet getting wet. I was walking in the waves. I stood still for a while. I had to get away from the ocean and walk in a straight line along the beach. I took a few deep breaths, grounded myself in the watery sand, held my head up high and took a tentative step forward. It worked. I moved a few inches forward. I took another step and true to the night's adventure so far, I made one step forward and two leading to the left. The water was now up to my ankles. I continued this miserable dance for a bit longer and as I very slowly made my way forward, I was quickly walking further into the ocean. I stopped again to take stock and consider my options. The water was up to my knees. I tried to turn around and face the beach, but all that happened was that I waded deeper into the water. I summoned all the concentration I could and I tried to twist my way around. I took a couple more steps. It was as if I were made out of metal and the ocean were a magnet. I just walked out to sea until the water was splashing around my neck and as the level rose up to my chin, I just gave up, leaned back and started floating on the warm, dark sea. As I lay there, I could feel myself bobbing and drifting further out in the gentle water. I was on my way to Africa. It was then that I realised I was in serious trouble. I called out for help. Help! Help! Like my voice was weak and feeble, I could barely hear myself. After a few more pathetic attempts, I gave up. I gazed up at the star-filled sky. It was beautiful. The water was warm and the gentle bobbing of the waves was comforting. A rush of calm swept through me. I suppose I'm going to die, I thought to myself. So this is how it ends, and it ends tonight. I felt completely at peace with myself, and I took in the enormous sky and just lay in the warm Arabian Ocean. My life didn't flash before my eyes. As I drifted further into the deep, I felt calm and relaxed. I felt sober, yet warm and fuzzy. This is beautiful, I thought to myself. I'm so lucky, I said out loud. And... As I drifted and the water lapped over my face, I felt pure bliss. This is perfection. I was warm and weightless and I saw the stars twinkle. They twinkled just for me and the planets winked as if they were saying, everything is going to be okay, you're going to be fine. And I've never felt so good, so calm, so at ease with myself, so at one with the universe. I closed my eyes and whispered, I'm ready. I began to slip away. From the distance I could hear some splashing. It wasn't the gentle sound of waves crashing onto the shore. This watery sound was more rushed, less comforting and not so sublime, and it was getting louder. It was getting closer. The splashing had a hurried rhythm to it, and as it became nearer to me, I could also hear a breathless sound of someone gasping for air. At the very moment I surrendered myself to the consuming sea, just as I was feeling so very good about myself and the world, two thick arms grabbed my neck and chest and ripped me away from the most serene place I'd ever been. I was dragged backwards and with a few mo within a few moments I hit, I hit wet sand. I was dragged further until I was lying in the dry sand. At the beach I escaped. 
The sand clung to me and I opened my eyes. Looking down at me, soaking wet and gasping for breath, was a short, thick-set man. Is you all right, buddy? he asked. He had an Australian accent and there was panic in his eyes. Yeah, I think so, I replied. And then, without thinking, in some sort of pathetic way of explaining everything, I said, I think my drink was spiked. I don't know what happened. He looked into my eyes but didn't say anything. He reached into a bag by his side and pulled out a sweatshirt which he offered me. I was beginning to feel cold and I was shaking. I gladly took the garment he was holding out for me and I exchanged it for my sodden t-shirt. I sat, dazed, and all the pain and confusion I associated with being alive came flooding back. The man asked again if I was okay, and I nodded. I told him that I was going to sit there until I felt capable of walking back to my hostel. I told him which one I was staying at so he could collect his sweatshirt in the morning. It'll be hanging on the washing line out of the back by the coconut trees, I told him. He straightened up, picked his bag up from off the ground and got ready to go. He hung around for a few agonising seconds, waiting for me to thank him, I think. I just couldn't bring myself to. If anything, I was pretty angry with him for dragging me out of my blissful state and I just wanted him to go. He stared out to sea and then lifted his head up and gazed at the huge starlit sky. He sighed, almost as if he knew he'd torn me away from pure serenity. Okay, buddy, he almost whispered. I'll see you in the morning. And he walked off into the night. I stayed stuck to the spot, shivering and shaking until the first sign of dawn. As the sun made its first tentative appearance in the sky ahead of me, I got up and walked in a perfectly straight line back home. The sun was now shining and I was warmed by its rays. I hung the sweatshirt on the washing line and went and lay down in the coconut grove. After a couple of hours, I spotted his figure heading towards his shirt, waving gently in the warm breeze. I got up and hid behind a tree while watching him stuffing the cloth into his bag. He stopped and looked around. I made myself small and stood tightly behind the tree until he had gone. A new day had begun and it was Christmas Day and I had at least two or three lives left, I thought to myself bitterly. I walked toward the hostel there was a large fire with a freshly killed pig roasting on a spit above it. I reached into my pocket and pulled out several damp boxes of pills and threw them on the fire. The flames turned green and the fire hissed and spat. In the distance I could hear carols being sung. I climbed the stairs up to my room, unlocked the door, walked in and carefully closed it behind me. That was Another Bloody Miracle by several names. Now a song from The Color of Grass. From the album Playing With Crayons, it's the Thousand Times Story.
the punchline is, leave the pineapple till last. Never, ever, start with the pineapple. Start with a grape or a cherry. Not with the pineapple. The pineapple always comes last. The joke simply won't work if you start with the pineapple. I mean, where do you go from pineapple? Exactly. You've left yourself with nowhere to go. You've ruined the whole joke. You've let yourself down. You've let me down. You've let the internet down. Never, ever, start with the pineapple. Leave the pineapple till last. The Slow Wild Outsider was compiled, edited, and mainly written by several names, a loner trapped on the south coast of Britain. Contributions to this episode came from Jim, Steve, Eddie Orange Dasher, the Ministry of Pain, Frank, Zero Crop, and the Color of Grass. It was entirely made on a mobile phone and a cheap naked laptop running Audacity. Come back in a month or so for the next edition. The next edition of The Slow Wild Outsider will contain, but will not be exclusively limited to, part one of a fictitious story called Slipping Tenses. Bundle 2 of diary excerpts from the real-life diary of a lost cause. Music from the Ministry of Pain, Romeo, Juliet, Papa, The Color of Grass, and Andy and Jim. Box Pox, what was the biggest mistake you made in your life? Soundscapes from nowhere, hidden microphone, a voyeur's delight. A discussion about camp, pieces from John Smith's autobiography, concrete. Time travel, a report from the Battle of the Beanfield, first time taking acid. A feature about addiction to the old sex lines, you know all that 0898 stuff before the internet. Plus some other bits and pieces. Come back in a month or so. Bookmark, subscribe, and share us. Let the listening world know about us. The Slow Wild Outsider. Podcast radio for interested ears, made by people with no voice.